0: Hi, I'm the Strategist Cowboy. The last couple of weeks I have been reviewing only Yule beers, whereof several of them are American beers. Not so today with our last Yule beer, for this year at least. Our first contestant, and only contestant this week is a Danish ale called Jakobsen Golden Naked Christmas Ale from Carlsberg Breweries. A, gold, a Golden Naked Christmas Ale costs nearly 60 Swedish kronas or 7 US dollars and 15 cents. It is not expensive for an ale considering that the bottle contains 3 quarters of a liter but then it comes from nearby Denmark. The beer also has got a respectable 7.5% ABV. It's got a normal IBU bitterness of 23. It contains water, barley malt oat malt glucose syrup wheat malt hops prune juice orange peels cinnamon and fennel the hops are of unknown sort and origin the beer is bottled in a nice dark bottle with the name JC Jacobsen embossed on the glass bottle The bottle is sized 75 centiliters, i.e. about 25 liquid ounces bottle. The Jacobsen Golden Naked Christmas Ale is said by Systemblaget to best be served at 10 to 12 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 50 to 54 degrees Fahrenheit. The brewery itself says that the preferred serving temperature should be... 8 to 10 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 46 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Here the table appears to be turned for once. How about the experience then? the color is brownish I think so, yes and it's a clear beer I can see my fingers through the glass it's got a large head two fingers tall it smells like The aroma is uh, quite normal for a beer, nothing Yulebeary about it, and the taste is uh, sweet, syrupy. Like many Danish beers, they have syrup in the. Carlsberg almost always, I think, have syrup in it. In their beer, beers. Yeah. It's, it tastes like um, cinnamon a bit. Kind of rich. Yeah. Hmm. Not exactly bread-like, not very yeasty, but all ales are in nature a little bit yeasty in itself, they're over yeasted. taste on my palate multi this is a 25 liquid ounces bottle so I guess I'm going to get drunk today. I like the foam on top of it. It's a very large head and it's a brownish, dark, yellowish, darker foam, not so white and it's sweet, I said that. It tastes like ginger. it's not candy-like it's a dark beer in taste and pretty much in color even though it's a light dark beer as i said brownish in color undertone Uh, bitterness it's not very bitter it's not very bitter it's more sweet than bitter and the fruitiness in it uh, I guess you can notice it but not very distinct Well, it drowns in the dark beer. But it's there. And the spices are cinnamon and. uh, Well, cinnamon. It is. The undertone. Syrup. Carbonation level. Kind of normal to normal to high more normal than high it's not creamy it's not acidic and there are no aberrations in it on second thought i'd say that this carbonation level is little bit higher than I thought. I can decide that by um, sensing how much I want to burp. It's easy but uh, it takes a little while for it to uh, want to come up again, the gases. I like this beer. For a Yule beer, it's not very Yuley. It's mo- more like. Um, where the cinnamon is uh, noticeable. The cinnamon taste or flavor. But other than that, It's very much like a Danish beer, a usual Danish beer, and I like Danish beers, absolutely. The Danes enhanced their beers with syrup, glucose syrup, and it's okay, because if you can make your beer taste better. With natural ingredients, what, then why shouldn't you use it? And they have found their niche, so to speak, with the glucose syrup. It's uh, not always that German beer like uh, the Rehaskibo beers, tastes better than other beers, like Belgian beers, Belgian beers for example which and they use uh, taste enhancers natural taste enhancers and it's very good uh, the, de- the Belgian beers are better than the German beers in general but there are very good German beers like um, Reineskibot beers that can compete with uh, some of the Belgian beers and the the danish beers i like this beer okay um what about grading then uh i grade this i grade this beer um Oh shit I'm drunk and I haven't even drunk the whole beer uh, I think I would grade it uh, eight or nine devils out of ten possible but uh, what eight or nine I'll grade it eight devils out of ten possible because it it doesn't really stick out in any way it's a good beer but uh, how does it differ from other like other danish beer like like, uh, uh, what for instance, uh, Carlsberg Sort Good or, or Black Gold, which is also a very good beer. It's not an ale, but it's still a very good beer that can measure up to this one. Even though this is an ale and Carlsberg Sort Good is a lager. So um, I have to grade it 8 devils out of 10 possible. Okay, absolutely don't drink and operate heavy machines, military or civilian. Drink responsibly or not at all. Don't drink at all if you're underage or pregnant. This week's lesson is more or less a tactical lesson. It's called With Aerostat vs. Without Aerostat. With the support of an Aerostat radar attached to the ground, we can obtain standoff with Jostadnyi Gripen, equipped with meteor missiles, even if the opponent flies at Mach 1.2 or 913 miles per hour. As long as we have signal contact between our aerostat radar and our air bases. This is the case with the Kalinje fighter aircrafts versus the Kaliningrad fighter aircrafts. In principle, we can always get standoff with the radar guided missiles if we locate our road air bases in southeast Sweden wisely, and if we have aerostat radars on Gotland and in Blekinge, so that we can get early warning. Scenario 1. With aerostat The aerostat radar sensor at Visby should be able to be directed at least 40 degrees north-northeast towards the island of orland and the gulf of finland and in 40 degrees southeast towards kaliningrad after the swedish pilots have fired several radar guided missiles of the type meteor with a range of 60 plus miles which fly in a speed of Mach 2 and in the final phase can fly in a speed of more than Mach 4. And we can assume that the Russian fighter pilots will soon do the same with at least two of their radar-guided missiles. That our pilots pilots in the first wave, when the enemy's radar-guided missiles are fired, turn home towards the airbase. After a second wave that has started from the same airbase has taken over the sensor coverage on the enemy targets and thereby can guide the first wave of Meteor radar guided missiles the last bit towards their targets. Meteor is a newly developed radar guided missile with a long range and a high hit probability. The missile is a so called beyond visual range air to air missile BVR. integrated with JAS CD and JAS E. Meteor has a data link that allows the firing platform mid course target update or allows it to change targets if necessary with including data from a third party offboard. If you are inside the no escape zone you cannot increase the distance from a pursuing Russian radar guided missile and hope to create such a large distance that the radar guided missile does not reach your aircraft in time before the missiles fuel and battery are on its end. But if you coordinate by sending up a second fighter wave with sensor overlap and adequate weapon systems under the pylons, the first wave can deviate from its course before the no escape zone. Under no circumstances may enemy fighter jets be given enough respite to sweep away the group of Swedish fighter aircrafts which are returning to land on their own airbase. The Russians must be forced to face the new wave of Swedish fighter planes in the air, which is the group that will take over the guidance of the first wave's radar-guided missiles and complete the mission. In the best of possible worlds, We also have a ground-based mobile air defense as a defense against a strategic takeover of Visby airport at Gotland. It is perhaps wrong to talk about a second wave of attacks. It is in practice a form of tactics, because the time between when the two waves of fighter aircrafts are sent into the air is so compressed. It's a readiness time period of sixteen to eighteen seconds for each subsequent wave. Since the Russian aircrafts are probably more numerous and can carry at least twice as many radar guided missiles on their pylons than the Swedish fighter planes can do, it is a good that it is good that we can reduce the disadvantage by sending two or three waves of sensor-fused fighter planes with the same number or plus a third as many guided missiles, in the best of possible worlds. Sensor-fused waves against the hostile fighter and attack wave can only be performed if you have aerostat radar or if you are flying surveillance aircraft in the air in real time. Scenario 2 Without aerostat If we do not have aerostat radar or phased array OTH radar or an airborne radar system active in the air then the JAWS aircraft must climb and fire its radar guided missiles no later than 15 miles north of um, exclamation mark here, Malmen's Airfield. Towards the first enemy aircraft wave. From the southeast over our Småland- Östergötland east coast. Then our fighter pilots will already be within firing distance of Russian radar-guided missiles. We have about three minutes to react and get the aircrafts up in the air from Malmen on the mainland to a speed of Mach 1. If the enemy attack aircrafts fly at 100 yards altitude and fly in the direction of Gotland's southern cape, climb south of Gotland, turn north and accelerate to at least Mach 1.2 while their escort planes within minutes fired their radar-guided missiles at the Swedish fighter jets still flying over the inland. Our fighter aircrafts can thus illuminate the targets and shoot off their radar-guided missiles only from the Swedish inland and without the range advantage that we have under optimal conditions with the Meteor radar-guided missile. Time is scarce. Our fighters may may first have to swerve and fly some 60 miles towards the northwest at takeoff to avoid the enemy's radar guided missiles. But then the Russian planes have definitely reached their range envelope and they become very exposed to our fighters' radar guided missiles when they return and we can easily catch up with them after the battery command center has given the pilot's status reports in a situation where the enemy fighters have to fly fuel economically. Due to our small detour inland, any enemy attack aircraft must in that case be met with ground based air defense missiles at close vicinity to Malmen airport. Fixed non-foldable radar systems on the island of Gotland will probably not survive the first enemy attack wave with cruise missiles or attack aircraft. It will be more economical and combat efficient to use attack aircraft with glide bombs in a first strike. The tank garage at Tofta shooting range on Gotland Will probably become a target for a couple of Iskander M. If we lack faced array OTH radar and aerostat, then perhaps the enemy will bomb Visby Harbor or conquer it and Visby Airport by air felling of VDV units in the event of a strategic attack on us. In addition to OTHB radar in Louis on the west coast and OTHSW radar SW radar on Gotland we should have mobile air defense with reconnaissance/target ranging radar at the airport Malmen F17 in Kallinge Karlskrona naval base Oskarshamn Västervik on Ireland and on Gotland and other places and here I have a footnote the OTHB technology has a much longer range than the OTHSW which reaches 60 miles in the southern Baltic sea but there is a skip zone for OTHB radar where it is blind okay In addition to OTH radar, there should also be helium balloon sensors that can rise up to 3,280 yards and they can then in theory see the enemy coming at 150 miles distance. These aerostats need to be added in some places in peacetime. If we get aerostat radar, we can prevent a strategic attack on Gotland. Since the reaction time spans on the air bases are not sufficient without aerostat radar, when the target for bombers is, e.g., Visby Harbour and Kappelsham, we would be smoked without at least one aerostat radar. With aerostat and OTH, we gain time and avoid large losses in terms of infrastructure as we win time to send up fighter aircrafts. But then part of the JAS fighter aircrafts must always be equipped and ready to start on the ground, even in peacetime. The war scenario assumes that the enemy does not only deploy cruise missiles or semi-ballistic missiles, instead of flying in with attack aircrafts in a first strike against F-17 called Kuna Naval Base and Visby Harbour. In the best of possible worlds, one could fly against the opponent's left wing in an operational attack from F-17 in Kallinge in an attempt to force the opponent to split up his normal formation with aircrafts flying from the Kaliningrad enclave towards Malmen or Gotland in a strategic attack. If not F-17 will become an initial goal that is. You can also decide the battle by means of the kaliningrad fighter planes in a situation when the opponent is on his way home and has consumed most of his fuel and ammunition. But precisely because of this possibility it is likely that F-17 will become the first target or a simultaneous target in a war against Russia. We can only hope that we control the sea between Gotland and the Swedish mainland and therefore can shoot down enemy cruise missiles to some extent and aircrafts with air defense missiles from land and islands. The air defense on the Visby corvettes should only defend themselves and our sea shipment vessels i.e. if we provide our corvettes with a medium range anti-aircraft missile system in the first place. Our corvettes will be in that part of the Baltic Sea, West Scotland, for another task to lobby over RB-15 towards sea targets, i.e. landing craft vessels off the east coast of Gotland. I would think that the first Russian attack wave with bombers, fighters and attack aircrafts starts from the Kaliningrad enclave towards F-17 and Karlskrona naval base in Blekinge and probably also towards Visby harbour. The tank garage at Tofta shooting range on Gotland will, as I said, probably be a target for Iskandar M, and radar stations on our Baltic Islands will probably be the subject of the enemy's cruise missiles or attack aircraft. The other Russian attack wave with bombers in perhaps is perhaps starting as a right hook from Lilga outside St. Petersburg. And that we would not be able to respond with such tactics as I suggest with the F-17 fighter planes, starting e.g. from a road airbase. But then the enemy's escort planes must be refueled before or after the approach to Visby, if they are to be able to afford dogfighting and very likely if they are to be able to fly with the bomber all the way in over Visby. The fuel is scarce. Alternatively, Russia already have air refueling planes and fighter jets circulating over the Baltic Sea and these fighter jets can then take over the escort of the bombers. But they can also hit several birds with one stone and focus on F-17 called Krona Naval Base, strategic and operational targets at Visby and our fixed radar stations in a first strike from two directions with aircraft, semi-ballistic missiles and cruise missiles. I do not know what the Defence Headquarters has taken for measures against against such a scenario. But the problem for Russia is that they cannot count on being able to do it unnoticed from luga in the gulf of finland if we know that it is happening on both fronts at the same time then we know what is going on in the best of possible worlds one should pay extra attention when the russian aircraft carrier kuznetsov or missile equipped civilian in within quotation marks Container ships are in the North Sea. Then the Russians could in theory attack from three directions. From the west towards the port of Gothenburg and F7, from the east towards Visby Harbor, etc. and from the southeast towards F17 and Karlskrona naval base in Blekinge. Thank you and see you at a while, Crocodile. Oh, thank you.